You're listening to the Global Research News Hour, produced at CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg, Manitoba, on occupied Anishinaabe Gakin, homeland of the Metis Nation and the historical territory of the Nahiwak and the Nakota. Our show is broadcast on affiliate community and internet radio stations across Canada and the United States and is available for download as a podcast at the site globalresearch.ca. My name is Michael Welch. To mark the debut of the show's regular season, and on the occasion of the looming anniversary of the September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks, we present a 9-11 roundtable featuring the late investigative journalist and 9-11 truth icon, Michael C. Rupert. Mike Rupert, along with Global Research's Michelle Chosodovsky, was among the first researchers in the world to publicly question the official story of the terrorist attacks, which were used as a justification for the so-called global war on terrorism. A former narcotics officer for the Los Angeles Police Department, Rupert had been expelled from the LAPD after he attempted to blow the whistle on CIA drug trafficking in 1977. He would go on to become the founder and editor of a hard-hitting newsletter called From the Wilderness, which broke stories on government corruption. He would author the 2004 volume Crossing the Rubicon, The Decline of the American Empire at the End of the Age of Oil, which not only pointed out the evidence of U.S. involvement in the attacks, but also placed the attacks in the context of peak oil and the laundering of drug money through the world's financial system. Rupert would eventually host a radio program on the Progressive Radio Network called the Lifeboat Hour. He died in April of 2014, apparently by suicide. The conversation you're about to hear took place around the six-month anniversary of the September 11th attacks and featured, in addition to Rupert, Ron Adkey, former chair of Canada's Security Intelligence Review Committee, Phyllis Creighton, a Canadian peace activist and ethicist, Peter Debara, former dean of the University of Western Ontario's Journalism School, and Rita Deverell, executive producer of Vision TV Insight, which produced the media file program you were about to hear. While more details about this critical historical moment have come to light over the course of the last 17 years, many of the points raised in this dialogue continue to be relevant today. The conversation opened with Rita Deverell putting a question to Michael Rupert. Michael Rupert, you are spending most of your time now speaking to groups, especially in the United States, mm -hmm. about the events of September 11th. And I think it would be fair to say that your opinions are somewhat controversial. Mm. Why are you doing this? Why are you talking to so many groups about September 11th? Well, first of all, we have had overwhelming demand to discuss the subject of September the 11th. I'm not the only person with a great many questions about the official story emanating from the United States government, about what happened before, during, and has happened after uh, the attacks on the World Trade Center. There are a great deal of uh, anomalies, for lack of a better word, monstrous inconsistencies, and using uh, government documents, using... What do you want the audiences, though, to get from your presentations? That they should be asking a lot of questions, that there are a great many lies that have been told about September the 11th. That the war is, uh, is really about oil, it's about control of the drug money, it's about construction let, let, let of pipelines. Me, let, me, let me stop you there. So you want to open their eyes? Yes, indeed. You want them to ask questions? Yes. 
Well, that's the purpose of what we're doing today. Let me tell you a bit about the format. We're going to divide this topic of September 11th into basically five areas and spend about 10 minutes talking about each uh, topic area. First, the U.S. economy and the relationship of that economy to the drug trade. Second, what's oil got to do with the events of September 11th? Third, the bin Laden family, the Bush family, September 11th, any connections between the two. The fourth topic will be what actually happened on the day. The failure of intelligence, the Defense Department, uh, and so on, what happened on the day. And finally, for me, a very key question, What's all this got to do with Canada? What are the spiritual implications of September 11th? What should we all do now? We'll give Michael Rupert approximately uh, two minutes to talk about some of the things that are important to him in these subject areas, and then we can all, you all, can have at him. First of all, then, um, the U.S. economy and September yes. 11th and the drug trade. What's, what's the economy got to do with anything? Well, actually, a, a great deal. Uh, we know from very well-respected sources, Le Monde Diplomatique uh, has uh, indicated that there is a trillion dollars a year in criminal money. The IMF last year said at $1.5 trillion. We know, thanks to Senator Carl Levin uh, in the U.S. through his uh, report on correspondent banking, that at least $500 billion a year is laundered through the American banking system. Uh, the world drug trade accounts for some $600 billion a year in liquid cash, which is a financial asset uh, in the world banking market. And when drug dollars find their way into net profits, uh, they boost stock values upwards of $30, $60, depending upon price-to-earnings ratio. We know that uh, a number of large U.S. companies, GE, Whirlpool, Westinghouse, uh, General Motors, Philip Morris, a great many of them, as documented by PBS, Lowell Bergman, a great reporter, have been called on the carpet, so to speak, for laundering too much drug money. It is a part and parcel of the American economic system. Uh, the drug cash flow is important because liquid cash, uh, as opposed to other measures of GDP, is very powerful. You can't put gas in your car with a bushel of wheat. The cash, especially on cash flow, it, it, it worms its way into leverage buyouts. It's extremely powerful. We know that the CIA historically has had a tremendously deep uh, relationship with Wall Street. The current executive vice president uh, of the uh, New York Stock Exchange, David Daugherty, is a former CIA general counsel. Uh, Bill Casey, Ronald Reagan's uh, infamous CIA director, uh, was the was uh, chairman of the SEC. Uh, the CIA, we know, has dealt drugs. We have Inspector General's reports from the U.S. in 1998 by Fred Hitz, where there's page after page and document after document saying that the CIA was directly involved in the drug trade, keeping drug traffickers out of jail uh, and, in effect, controlling the flow of the cash into the U.S. economy. The run-up to September 11th is that Afghanistan had been the single largest producer of heroin, opium, in the world supplying some 70% of the world's opium trade. The largest crop in history prior to September 11th had been the 2000 crop at some 3,800 to 4,000 metric tons in the year 2000. In 2001, 
the Taliban destroyed their entire opium crop. They took some $200 billion in cash out of the world banking system. This, uh, the fact of the uh, destruction of the uh, crops is documented by the DEA, by the UN, by major news networks, BBC. Hold on one second. Too many initials for me. Let me ask <laughs> just a simple dumb nut question. Okay. Um, the CIA notwithstanding, what's drug money got to do if I'm an ordinary U.S. citizen, in your view, what has drug money got to do with the functioning of the U.S. economy? Well, I'll put very simply, for every dollar a bank has on deposit, it can lend nine. Drug money is enormously powerful because it's liquid cash. The banks certainly take their cuts with the money on deposit in the banking system. It expands throughout the economy. It has a multiplier effect. The Taliban destroyed their opium crop, which took that money in the year 2001 out of the world's banking system. There were no opium crops. Tony Blair was saying, we shall bomb the poppy fields. Well, there were no poppy fields. Okay. On the other hand, we occupied Afghanistan uh, in uh, late October, early November, and the planting season for the opium poppy begins in November and the harvest is in June. The Times of London last week reported that there will be a world record harvest in Afghanistan this year of 4,500 metric tons of opium, which will equate to 450 tons of heroin, where there's going to be a monstrous heroin plague, but that cash flow, thanks to U.S. military occupation, exactly the way it was in uh, Vietnam, will result in a monstrous heroin epidemic this summer. Michael, I've got two problems with what you're saying. First of all, everything I've read about the U.S. drug trade, and I have read a fair amount, say that the principal source of drugs coming to the U.S. is from South America, not, mm -hmm. not Afghanistan. You're correct. And, and so, and, and what's South America and got to do with the terrorist events of September 11th? That's number one. Number two, uh, Al-Qaeda is not the Taliban. They're just separate groups. Al-Qaeda is, is a network, as you know, and it's mm -hmm. worldwide. Mm -hmm. Its origins were in Egypt and, and in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, that network continues to be a major threat. And I think most people in security intelligence and the police and the governments all agree mm -hmm. that the uh, terrorist events of September 11th were caused principally by the Al-Qaeda network. Okay. And, 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 and so I'm trying to make the connection between Saudi Arabia and Egypt and the Al-Qaeda network, which is in some 60 countries, with this isolated, albeit important problem in Afghanistan of the reinvigoration of the opium crop. Okay. Uh, two quick answers for you. First of all, yes, you were quite right that uh, the United States receives about 60 to 70 percent of its heroin from Colombia. Canada is a little bit more mixed. You get some from the Far East. You also get some from Western Europe because of smuggling routes. Uh, however, it's the cash that is important and the movement of cash. That will change as a result of U.S. dominance now in Central Asia with direct uh, transport lines uh, from Central Asia uh, to the, the Western Hemisphere and the U.S. Uh, yes, uh, Al-Qaeda was a principal, certainly involved in the attacks on September the 11th. Mm -hmm. However, the war in Afghanistan was a war against the Taliban mm -hmm. as well. I mean, we eliminated the Taliban regime, and as a matter of fact, uh, since occupying the country, we have, in, we, the United States, have sprung a number of heroin warlords from prison and put them into peacekeeping, marshalling roles to affect political uh, assuagement, if you want to call it that, uh, and control the country. But as part of, the, as part of an overall strategy to get out al-Qaeda? 
that's questionable because my belief is that the, the purpose of the war and the fact that we overlooked uh, direct foreknowledge of the attacks and allowed them to happen was to secure construction of a trans-Afghani pipeline that UNICAL had been trying to get built for a number of years to let the Exxon, uh, the major oil companies, get their oil out of Central Asia and to uh, secure con uh, control of the drug cash. We seem uh, to have wonder, slipped into oil. I wonder if I could just uh, sort of step back for a minute and, and, and look at the larger picture just for a second. September the 11th was a, a, an enormous event, obviously. Mm. Probably, in terms of its impact on the American public, the, the biggest event of its kind since the assassina assassination of President Kennedy. Oh, agreed. And the assassination of President Kennedy was followed by a whole bunch of conspiracy theories, almost endless conspiracy theories, mm -hmm. that the communists were involved, the mafia was involved, the underworld was involved, and so forth, none of which really seemed to pan out in the long run and, and sort of cancel one another out. In, in a sense, aren't you starting to do the same thing with September the 11th by, by basically talking about various conspiracies that are really behind the true story? That's a great question. I'm, I'm really glad you asked it. There are two ways to look at the assassination of John Kennedy. And when I gave my lecture at Portland State, which began the series, I started with a clip of the, of the Zapruder film. And mm -hmm. there are two anomalies with the JFK assassination that stand by themselves, one of which is the video shows that he was shot from the front. The head moves from front to rear. And, of course, the second is the magic bullet uh, that hung in midair, caused four wounds, suspended, uh, turned, and performed a ballet step and emerged unscathed on the stretcher at Parkland Memorial Hospital. Those are anomalies, and my reporting, my journalism since 9-11 has been not to go into any of the conspiracy, if you will, non-provable speculative realms, uh, i.e., were there explosives in the building, were the planes remote control? Those are non-provable events. My focus uh, as a reporter in From the Wilderness has been to take government documents, government records, official press reports, and to point out the anomalies in those and say that, wait a minute, these stories and these government positions are not telling the truth. That's the place where I stop and say, and begin to say, there's, a, uh, there's another agenda here which needs to be drug out into the light. Yes, Phyllis, go ahead. Yeah, it seems to me you're applying a good old-fashioned benchmark to analyze who pays, who profits. You look mm -hmm. at the results and you say, now how does that tie in with the stated purpose? And um, it, it's hard to, to think that when you're bombing Afghanistan to smithereens and killing a lot of civilians, and more civilians died there, it is estimated, than died in New York, that your goal is to catch the terrorists. There are ways to do that. They involve police enforcement and international legal mechanisms. And yeah. it seems to me that you're asking a good question. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the actions that have followed September the 11th, notwithstanding all of the, the anomalous actions on the day of, are, are, are not consistent with what happens. Uh, you know, if you have an if-then proposition that XYZ happened, then, then a certain set of circumstances should follow, and what we're seeing as a result doesn't make sense if you think about it logically. Let's stick with who benefits follow the money. Was the U.S. economy, in your view, in worse shape immediately before September 11th, then please explain. Yeah, there's absolutely no question. We saw the Dow Jones drop some 900 points in the three to four weeks prior to 
September the 11th. I had written, as a matter of fact, for my subscribers, a bulletin two days before the attacks, warning of a 1929-style uh, Dow Jones collapse. Uh, that event alone, and I would say, I, I'm not saying that was a motive for the attacks, I'm saying that was just part of the consistent background. The U.S. economy has been in very perilous shape. I think we see that also as a result of Enron and the funny accounting that has now uh, begun to trickle up through many of the major, of, of the largest uh, companies on the Dow, that, uh, that uh, earnings are being reported falsely. And what we saw uh, post 9-11, just one symptomatic thing was that uh, President Bush opened the Treasury and started flooding money out of the U.S. Treasury into Wall Street. I want to follow up uh, on Ron Atke's point, though, uh, that if you accept some kind of a relationship between the U.S. economy and drugs, why, why the Middle East? Why, why not some of these other locations? Well, money is money, and as has been noted by a number of uh, great professors, uh, Michelle Chosodovsky here at the University of Ottawa, Professor Naylor, uh, you know, very great economic minds. Drug money flows around the world like liquid. There are no borders. We are globalized when it comes to the world's financial markets. And money will seek places where it can earn the most uh, interest, where it can exert the most influence. Uh, $600 billion a year in drug money is too big to put in a pillow. It has to go someplace. It has to be put into an economy. And if it doesn't come to the U.S. economy, then it will go to some other economy. Therefore, it becomes an economic prize possession devoid of morality. Money but, has know, its own you know, morality. The, the, the Bush administration in, in the United States hasn't exactly been putting their heads in the sand on this issue. We all saw the ads on the, in this, during the Super Bowl game. Uh, and they were attempting to justify the military activities in Afghanistan as part of the U.S. war on drugs. <laughs> and and I don't you saw that and and this was sort of making a domestic issue as part of the international issue. Now I'm not sure Americans accepted that, but nevertheless they were admitting you know we have a major problem with drugs. It's partly related to what's going on in Afghanistan. They did make the distinction between the Taliban, which were protecting the Al Qaeda, mm -hmm. and and the Al Qaeda terrorists themselves. But nevertheless they weren't avoiding that issue. Uh, they were hitting that right out well, front. To me, uh, people say the war on drugs has been a failure. I think the war on drugs has been an enormous success. And the reason why I think that is because in 1972, when Richard Nixon started the war on drugs, the federal budget allocation was $101 million for law enforcement. As we entered fiscal year 2000, the federal budget allocation was $20 billion U.S. for law enforcement. Yet there are more drugs in the United States today. They are less expensive and they are of better quality than they were in 1972. So that's we, success? Yes, we have a burgeoning prison population and we have all this extra money that's going into uh, the U.S. economy. Uh, U.S. prison stocks, we have put a, 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 a million nonviolent drug offenders in jail in the last decade. And that number is going to go up. Uh, as we see uh, the announcements uh, soon to be made, and which have already been made, that if you use drugs, you're supporting the terrorists. You are a terrorist. That's, uh, that's a jingoistic fascist rhetoric that will justify the imprisoning of nonviolent drug offenders so that they can make reservations for American Airlines or make shoes for Nike, which is what's going on in the American prison can system. Can I ask you another bottom line question, Mike? Sure. <laughs> You're raising a lot of interesting questions, obviously, about September the 11th, and I've read some of the material that, uh, that you've released on the Internet. And in addition to the questions, I keep getting back to the point, what, what are you actually trying to say? And are you trying to say, in fact, that President Bush basically engineered 
the events of September the 11th? Engineered is a difficult word for me, Peter. It's a two historical context. First of all, Pearl Harbor. Uh, we know now, on the History Channel this year, we've seen a documentary three times on the secrets of World War II that the United States had broken the Japanese codes and knew the attacks were going to take place. Winston Churchill and FDR needed the U.S. in the war and, and allowed the attack to take place for the purpose of getting the U.S. into the war. We also have the uh, example of Operation North Woods. That, uh, I have top secret documents declassified that are on my website. Uh, available to read that the uh, uh, U.S. Uh, Joint Chiefs had prepared a plan in 1962 to attack American aircraft and American military bases and blame it on Pearl Harbor for the purpose of generating a war. What I'm saying is, is that the Bush administration knew the attacks were going to take place and made a conscious decision that the casualty levels were acceptable to secure access to Central Asian oil for the major oil companies and, and for the U.S. economy and to secure control of the drug trade, and that the casualty levels incurred were acceptable in their eyes, and that they kind of turned a blind eye and may have, in fact, uh, left-handedly facilitated. I'm not saying engineered and or executed directly. But that you're saying that they could have prevented Absolutely. these attacks, in fact, Absolutely. could have prevented the destruction of the World Trade Center. Absolutely. So they colluded in the destruction of the World Trade Center, in effect. They let it yes. happen. Yeah. I, I don't think that uh, Pearl Harbor proves September 11th. Mm -hmm. I have lots of trouble with that mm -hmm. one. But let's stop on this point of what actually happened on the day. How could uh, they have prevented September 11th? How did they collude? Okay. Well, there's... Uh, this is the subject of a two-hour lecture, so I'm, I, I, I will try well, to... tell us in two minutes. Oh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> I'll do the Federal Express guy. I'll talk very quickly. First of all, we know that uh, from documented warnings, major press sources, Frankfurter Allgemeine Zeitung, BBC, all respected press outlets, that the intelligence services of Germany, uh, Russia, uh, Egypt, uh, major intelligence, the Mossad, and if you take the reports that are documented and acknowledged from those sources and you put them together, you see that the United States government, we know, had received warnings that some 25 suicide hijackers would be hijacking airliners and crashing them into the World Trade Center on the week of September 4th. And these are uh, intelligence reports from the governments that... Well, they had a list, a long list of targets, so World Trade Center was only one. Indeed. That's just one... But it was one. Yes. That's the important That point, was certainly actually. one. Uh, and it had been a targeted before. Yeah, earlier, yeah. In 1992, yeah. it had been yeah. attacked, so no secret. We also know uh, from uh, the U.S. District Court in Manhattan in uh, February of uh, 2001, that it was revealed that the National Security Agency had broken all of Osama bin Laden's secured, encrypted communications. Uh, there, was, uh, there was also incredible uh, evidence that was overlooked immediately, and this is uh, something that plays directly into Canada, of insider trading, major significant mm. put options, which are basically best that the stock prices will fall on United Airlines and American Airlines, other companies hit by uh, Mer uh, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, uh, and we know, we absolutely know for a fact that intelligence agencies monitor stock trades in real time through use of very sophisticated software called Promise. And that these trades were placed, some of these trades, the United Airlines trades, were placed through the firm Alex Brown Deutsche Bank, which was headed until 1998 by the man who was currently the executive director of the CIA, a man by the name of Buzzy Krongard. Uh, there's 
many, 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 many warnings. You, you, you could look at the evidence, and again, it's tough to take one piece of evidence and put it out. When a lawyer makes a presentation, he gets to put 100 exhibits before the jury, not just one. Now, you're, you're saying that many of these sources that you've been using are, are, are from newspapers themselves or new services of different kinds. Yes. And they're, so they're public. So why aren't we confronting a, a major American journalist right now or a major American editor who's put the same dots together and come to the same conclusions instead of well, a relatively, well, uh, with, that, all, with all uh, respect, ob obscure person? 50 senators and Thank how you. many congressmen and, and uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission and, and all the various mechanisms that are built into the U.S. political system mm -hmm. to ensure that nobody is corrupt. Because that's what you're suggesting. Well, I am, they are totally corrupt, and that's what I'm flatly stating. And every U.S. congressman and, and, and senator who has an oversight role in this is also corrupt. Well, corrupt and or compromised to the point where, and I've just traveled to Washington recently, and I've produced a videotape, and I had three members mm -hmm. of Congress appear in my videotape. So uh, obviously uh, Washington is not totally without ethics. However... The pervasiveness of the corruption, I mean, Enron is a perfect example. That stench is, is growing rapidly throughout Washington. But relevance to September 11th. Relevant to September 11th. Uh, everybody, uh, the SEC has, uh, I have contacted the SEC as a journalist, and I've said, look, we know these insider trades were placed. You know that we have banking laws uh, that are akin to medical records in the U.S. I can't go find out who made the trades because there's secrecy requirements. Brokers can't disclose. SEC can. SEC can. SEC will neither confirm nor deny the existence of any investigation. Mm -hmm. Members of Congress with whom I have spoken have said, we're not looking at that. Period. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet it well, is no... So, so why aren't the major media drawing the same conclusions from this publicly available data that you're drawing? They should be. They absolutely but why aren't should they be. Then? But what about corporate control of media? Well, uh, you thank know, you. Who benefited out of this whole this whole military use of goods to go off to Afghanistan, immediately you get transfer of money mm -hmm. to the defense industries, you have tie-ins with newspapers, so you're not expecting the newspapers to be asking a question when you've got the government pushing a patriotic, jingoistic approach to I things. I would think if that, if that was happening, I would think that there would be some journalists somewhere in the States who would be talking now about uh, silencing of sources, inability to get things published. I've read, read uh, Senator Richard Shelby, and he's questioned the head of the CIA quite aggressively, and it's going to come back for more. He's also cr uh, questioned the head of counterintelligence for the FBI, mm -hmm. and those are hearings that are going to be on in the next few months, and certainly I'm going to watch them, and I think the U.S. media will watch them. Let's talk about Canada, too, in this context, because we're complicit. If you're suggesting that the watchdog apparatus, if you will, in the U.S. is corrupt, then so is the Canadian apparatus. Indeed. Because we're all interdependent with the U.S. We we liaise with the CIA, we liaise with the FBI, we liaise with the police forces. So that means the CSIS, the RCMP, uh, the SEC, CSE, uh, the provincial police forces, the municipal police forces, they're all corrupt and tied in with this too. So, Ron Adkey, that's what you're suggesting. Are, are, are we corrupt or not? Are we implicit or not? What's, what's your view well, of this? I'm having difficulty coming to that conclusion. <laughs> Tell us more. Why are you having difficulty? Well, I, I believe that we don't have a perfect system of political accountability and transparency in North America, but we have a good system. And I believe in the United States they have a reasonably good system of transparency and counterbalance and counterweights and political parties and media, and it all works 
generally to expose wrongdoing. It did that in the case of Watergate. Um, it, but it uh, took a long time. Yeah, but it, 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 it achieved and the we're result. Just at the beginning it of achieved the questions. result, and you brought down a president in the United States, and that was a, a success of the system, if you will. I think we have wrongdoing in this country from time to time. It's exposed sooner or later, sometimes not as well as it should be. Peter probably has views based <laughs> on the Somalia, <laughs> Somalia inquiry as to whether you ever get to the bottom of that. But nevertheless, we have enough people who are not part of an implicit corrupt system, which you're suggesting, that I find what you're saying hard to, hard to, I have, to I have, I have my hand up. <laughs> All right. <laughs> May I talk? Yes. Uh, excellent point. I, for one, am extremely concerned about Canadian sovereignty. Uh, in uh, August of 2000, I was visited uh, by two members of the RCMP national security staff who were conducting an investigation into uh, the RCMP's use of Promise software which they believed had been compromised by the CIA uh, and or CSIS. During those uh, conversations, as a matter of fact, I think, I, yeah, I still have, there's their cards from the RCMP national security staff. Uh, and we had talked about uh, RCMP's version of promise being compromised. Uh, and the fact that uh, one of the investigators in particular was very concerned about the loss of Canadian sovereignty being uh, subjugated to U.S. intelligence and economic interests. Uh, my investigation led me to a speech by Derek Burney, uh, your former ambassador, mm -hmm. to Washington, in which he was virtually uh, obsequiously fawning to American economic interests, saying that if we don't do what the Americans want us to do, we will find ourselves uh, uh, re re replaced by Mexico as the largest trading partner of the U.S. It was a virtual capitulation. You're listening to the Global Research News Hour on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. The show is also available for download at the site globalresearch.ca. This week we're featuring audio from a March 14, 2002 roundtable on Canada's Vision TV network about what really happened on September 11th. Participants included the late investigative journalist and 9-11 researcher Michael Rupert, along with Ron Adkey, a former parliamentarian and then head of Canada's Security Intelligence Review Committee, Phyllis Creighton, peace activist and ethicist, and Peter Debarra, former dean of the Journalism School at the University of Western Ontario. The discussion was moderated by Rita Deverell, broadcaster, social activist, and executive producer of Vision TV. Here's more of that discussion. There are a couple of points that I think we've, we've, we're losing that I, I, I want us to stick with. One is uh, the failure or not of journalists. Um, Peter, you frequently accuse journalists of not getting to the bottom of things. Are you saying in this instance that uh, journalists are connecting all the dots and you just don't see a case for this? No, I'm saying that they're not, they're not connecting the dots in the same way. And I think that if... Uh, if uh, the, if the conspiracy was as, as obvious as Mike says it is, mm -hmm. that there would be journalists someplace who either were connecting the dots and writing about this and broadcasting about this on a large scale, or they would find that for some reason or other they've connected the dots and the publishers or the television owners won't use this material. When that happens, and it happens from time to time, yes, journalists have other ways of getting the material out, usually through other journalists or stuff that they put on the internet or whatever, and that doesn't seem to be happening. Well, let me just respond briefly, which dovetails both of your points actually together nicely. Uh, we discussed GE as having been known to launder uh, drug money. It's been documented. Mm -hmm. PBS. GE is one of the largest defense contractors. They own NBC. Mm -hmm. 
CNN has, uses military satellites for its live feeds. We know that CNN has U.S. Army intelligence personnel sitting in its newsroom. Okay, these are by virtue of the stock market alone and the stock market's dependency both upon the oil revenues and the drug cash, which is documented now. Uh, they don't have a vested interest in telling the truth. Now, I have been doing, uh, since September the 11th, radio well, why, interviews. Why is AOL Time Warner that owns CNN doing so poorly? Its stock market is its historic low right well, now. It doesn't prove your point, Mike. Well, I'm not saying it proves my point, but the anecdotal relationships cannot be ignored. These are things that you have to look at when Army intelligence personnel are sitting in the CNN newsroom. Mm -hmm. Ownership talks. Yes. Mm -hmm. Money money talks. Yep. Many stocks are failing, but so are the accounting procedures of Enron. I mean, we're in a fragile economic situation, I think, all over the world right now. But as I've traveled the country, and I've been here, I've lectured twice here in Toronto, uh, Canada, at the University of Toronto at uh, UT. Uh, as I've traveled and done media, I have seen uh, radio talk show hosts on large networks lose their jobs for having me on the air. We are living in a world of censorship. I am saying that, and it's happening. Radio talk show hosts. Yes. Not television. You're talking just about radio. Yes. Yeah. We are living in weird times. You know, it, it troubles me deeply that both my church and the Raging Grannies, of which I'm a member, are identified not just as they were after APEC, as a low-grade security risk, but now as subversive. And I know that the definitions under C-36 for terrorism are sufficiently broad that they could catch my legitimate questioning dissent from orthodox views. I find this absolutely reprehensible. And that is, if, if we are fighting a war against terrorists, but we're losing democracy at home, what's the point? You picked a very good point, Phyllis. I think that's one of the huge prices we paid, perhaps unnecessarily, in aligning our laws, um, perhaps even going further than the U.S. and, the, and the Great Britain did in terms of anti-terrorism, uh, it's one thing to devote more resources to policing, uh, security, intelligence, border measures. It's another thing to change the permanent law uh, of, your, of your land and, and, and affect the civil liberties of a whole lot of people who are not terrorists, not intended to be caught within this neck. But and you just described... I don't know that we know they were not intended to be, Ron, and I think you need to be very careful about assuming so. We do know, and, and I have sat and listened to American professors talk about this, that the movement to call in question the economic mm -hmm. patterns of the world and the particular form of globalization that we have right now mm -hmm which is rendering more and more people poor, which has widened the gap between rich and poor, mm -hmm. which favors the affluent and especially the Americans. Mm -hmm. the, the questioning of this, especially by young people, was on a roll. It was picking up more and more people, and the links were being made between the destruction of the environment, the loss of jobs, the downgrading, all of this stuff, and the peace movement. Mm -hmm. And suddenly we have the means to say that these people are terrorists. They're not going to be, a foreigner will have more rights than I. I can't go to Kananaskis mm -hmm. next, next June and protest because I'll be liable mm -hmm. to be arrested. But let me say that that debate about changing our permanent laws was not an easy debate. The government didn't have an easy time, thank goodness, because they were challenged. And that you also have a charter of rights and freedoms because I don't think a lot of the new measures that were passed will we'll pass muster under that charter and you have a legal profession that are willing to pick up the cudgel. You'll see a whole bunch of cases where police powers are exercised, criminal law powers are exercised. They'll be challenged successfully in the courts unless, of course, our 
courts are not competent and they seem to be corrupt. We're, no. giving, we're, also, giving, we're also not just, we're not just dealing with Canada and the U.S., we're dealing with the whole of That's right. the NATO alliance and, right. and broader than that, including the Soviet Union. And what you're saying is that, if, that this conspiracy, if there is a conspiracy, involves uh, government leaders and the media across the the great the, the greater extent of, of, of every developed country in the world. Let me just and, and, and somehow it is not coming out. Oops. But, but, but before you... we have a lot of debate though about <laughs> conspiracy or no conspiracy, Peter, where do you stand on the question of Canadian civil liberties, rights, and freedoms being in jeopardy at this moment? Is that a problem? Is that not a problem? No, I think that is a problem. Yes, I think that is a problem, and it's an aftermath of September the 11th, and I would agree with Ron and Phyllis to a certain extent that, that we rushed headlong into a, a restriction of, of civil liberties, which, as, as a Montrealer, uh, does resemble in some ways a reaction to the October crisis that we had in 1970. Yeah. I, think that, I think that's true, but that doesn't bring me closer to agreeing with Mike necessarily. Uh, no, but I, I want to pause on this point and say if this is a problem, then what can be done about it? Ron, you were, in fact, starting to say what, in your view, could be done about it. Well, if, if the dismissal of rights and freedoms is a problem, what can be done? Well, I think we have a charter of rights, and I think Canadians should assert their rights under the charter and should hire legal counsel when they're challenged or when they feel intimidated and test the system. I think the system will provide some protection, albeit after the fact, and it's not altogether... Yeah. Easy we know that the police have already said, well, we won't, under C-36 and C-35, we won't have to pay attention to the Charter of Rights. We also know that the legal route is an elitist route. But there isn't enough legal aid. Everybody's assuming that the system is still working the way it exists on paper. It is not. The United States is an empire. Our Supreme Court made an illegal decision to give George W. Bush the election victory. A totally illegal decision. And I'm not Republican or Democrat. That's nullified. We now have a Congress in the United States that has been subdued by anthrax. The only two people to receive anthrax letters have been people of the opposition party. One in particular, Pat Leahy, who was criticizing John Ashcroft. So, in what effect. What the origin of the anthrax was? Well, well I, that's, a whole that's, a that's been ball thoroughly rate. documented now. It's in the Washington Post and New York no, Times. That it's open question. The only, a, the only agency that could have produced that concentration, one, one billion spores or one trillion spores uh, per gram, was the CIA. And that, that has been admitted in the Washington Post and the New York Times. That's documented. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to go back one second because you're assuming that the system works well. We in the United States have lost more than a third of our Bill of Rights as a result of the Patriot Act. We're very concerned about that. But you still have open elections. Um, I mean, the congressmen come up every two years, the Senate come up every six years, and, and, and Americans aren't stupid. Uh, they have a tradition of, of, of electoral freedom uh, and, and, and their own human charter of rights, and they have a court system uh, that I don't think is corrupt. Is it too late? Is it not too late if Americans have lost their rights and freedoms? Well, that's, that's the point I'm trying to make. I mean, I have 20 members of the U.S. Congress who subscribe to From the Wilderness. I was mm -hmm. just back and met with a four in Washington, D.C. There's a basic assumption that a member of Congress or a member of Parliament by virtue of that office is powerful. And it's not axiomatic that just being elected to, as, as a member of parliament gives you the ability to change anything in government. You still have to work within yeah. your party structures. Uh, in the United States, the ranking members uh, who are very influenced by political campaign co contributions and special interests are the ones who exert the power. I maintain that we're living in an empire. 
that uh, the Supreme Court has was nullified any claim it had on legitimacy uh, by overturning a Florida law that clearly said the right, the, the clear intent of the voter, and threw that out. But I wanted to back. But would it have been any different had been Gore been president? Would the events of September 11th not Great have question. Wonderful question. I think that we are on the cusp of a major world oil crisis, and this is where I rise above the level of partisan politics. Mm -hmm. I look to groups like the Council on Foreign Relations, the Trilateral Commission, uh, founded by Zbigniew Brzezinski. Let's follow the money again. Let's follow the money. Let's come back to oil, which we sort of dropped out of the pipeline. What's oil got to do with September 11th? Boom. This is a map that Zbigniew Brzezinski, uh, again, who was Jimmy Carter's national security advisor, worked on intelligence for Ronald Reagan, um, founder of the Trilateral Commission, wrote in a 1997 book called The Grand Chessboard, and he draws a, a line around where the next conflict is going to be, where 75% in Eurasia of the world's known energy resources are. This is the Caspian Sea. The Cas this is exactly where we're fighting right now. And yet he wrote in this book four years ago that this was where the conflict was going to be. And he said in three places in this book, he said, Without an attack on the order of Pearl Harbor, the American people will never support the effort of imperial mobilization, his term, not mine, required to exert the military force necessary to secure control of this region. That book was written four years ago. But, but that was proven unnecessary. I mean, next to Saudi Arabia, Iraq has the most amount of oil. And, and uh, George Bush, the senior, had no difficulty mobilizing American opinion. But Ron, uh, what we're talking about is geopolitics. Indeed. We're talking mm -hmm. about the desire to profit and it's not just for the country to profit but for the those involved in the corporations to do so. Indeed. And that's what keeps power in their hands. At it's what money, cost? political power. I think another thing, Mike, is that we're at the very early stages in this whole story. Mm -hmm. I mean, September the 11th was an enormous event. It had a tremendous impact on Americans and Canadians and, 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 and people worldwide. Mm -hmm. And it mobilized opinion, there's no doubt about that, behind the American government and the Canadian government and, and Western governments generally. Uh, people had an emotional reaction, which they're still feeling to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. But it's starting to shift already, and people are now starting to ask some of these questions and starting to take a longer view. And in fact, I think uh, American congress congressmen only a few days ago were, were asking, why are we still putting more soldiers into Afghanistan? What exactly are we, what exactly are we trying to do in Afghanistan now? And there's no satisfactory answers. So in, in, in some ways, you may be the vanguard of a closer examination of the causes of September the 11th and the motivations and, and, and the fallout, which will come through the media, come through parliamentary institutions, mm -hmm. come through Congress. Speaking of why, what are we doing exactly in Afghanistan, this brings me back to the bin Laden family and to the You're trying Bush to adhere family. to your structure. Uh, well, no, <laughs> yes, yes, yes and no. But if I remember um, a few months back, the whole purpose of the war on Afghanistan was to capture one bad guy. That has not happened yet. So who is this bin Laden character? And indeed, why are we not more concerned than we appear to be about the fact that he hasn't come into custody? Osama bin Laden's getting his nails done in Switzerland. That's what I believe. 
still alive. Yeah, I mean, he... Uh, you don't believe that his DNA is scattered over some plane no, in Afghanistan? No, 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 I absolutely do not. Uh, do you think the, the video of him that made it look as if he was dying of his kidney ailment was a fake then? Well, uh, I don't know if it was faked or not. I know that I have seen, I don't speak Arabic. And, yeah. and, and again, as a journalist, I try to be objective. I've heard too many different very mm -hmm. uh, explanations of the translation, some that are good, some that are bad, all mm -hmm. disputed, to say that th that tape was a box office dud for me mm -hmm. anyway. We know that the bin Laden family and the Bush family have had joint business investments for a long time. We know that in 1998 and 2000, thanks to the Wall Street Journal again and the New York Times, that George Herbert Walker Bush, Poppy, uh, which is a great name for him, traveled <laughs> to Saudi Arabia and met with, for the Carlyle Group, and we can get to the Carlyle Group in a moment, met with the Saudi royal family and the bin Laden family. Former President Bush has admitted this. They, they all had investments in the Carlyle Group. Uh, from the Wilderness Broker story on that right after September the 11th, and as a result of that story and other people picking up and doing the same thing, the bin Laden family sold their interest in the Carlyle Group. We know that in 1976, that far back, uh, Osama bin Laden's older brother, Salim, uh, through a Texas investment banker, Jim Bath, who has intelligence connections, he's a National Guard pilot who flew with George W. Bush, their old friends, uh, uh, gave Jim Bath control of the bin Laden family investments in the United States. And that same year, uh, Jim Bath invested $50,000 in George W. Bush's first company, Arbusto Energy. There are close business connections there. If we there. accept all of these connections, yeah. though, even if we accept all of these connections, why hasn't the evil one been apprehended? What is all of this about? Well, uh, I would argue, who cares? I think he's been, he's a charismatic character and he's ridden on his charisma. I think he is only one of, of many, many, many people within Al-Qaeda. He's not an Afghanistan, uh, Afghani, he's, he's from Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, he, he, he found, and he and others in the Al-Qaeda movement, found refuge mm -hmm. in, 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 under the Taliban government in Afghanistan. Right. That's why Afghanistan became the target for U.S. military action, which has, quite frankly, very limited uh, uh, ability to, to root out Al-Qaeda as a network. I think that's not really something that you go after with a military operation at all. And I think probably, uh, the military operations in Af Afghanistan are not going to continue. They have the occasional skirmishes. It's a holding action. I think going after al-Qaeda involves not military, but more security intelligence efforts around the world. And whether bin Laden is, is, is dead or alive, as they say, doesn't matter that much. It's the existence of the terrorist network and the threat to us. But, Ron, you have just pointed out the whole difficulty. It's security operations that are required for finding terrorists, it's not bombing. There is no way that by bombing you're going to, and we don't even know, as far as I know, we haven't had any trials of any of the 19 terrorists that were arrested. None of them are Afghanis not, at not, all. Not, not the terrorists. It, it, they, we they, don't, it's not a method of we, combating terrorism. It terrorism was necessary, has to be countered in some other it way. It was necessary to replace the government that was harboring the terrorists, and that was the initial justification, and they've achieved that. It's and done. It's over. Isn't but, that interesting? It's, an, it's a government that the Americans themselves helped get into I, place. Well, I don't defend it. I, you're quite right. Not that, only the, that. The current objective was to replace that government. But look at the behavior, again, which is not consistent with the stated goal. 
the behavior is, and, I'm, and I predict, and I think I'm going to be proven right on this for, in, in very short order, you have Canadian troops there fighting, and that's a, that's a first for you guys in a long time. But we will see U.S. troops there protecting the pipeline construction. We will see mm -hmm. massive deployments. We have seen, and this may be America's uh, uh, equivalent of Hitler's march to Moscow. We have seen U.S. troops deployed in Kyrgyzstan, Tajikistan, Uzbekistan, and now in Georgia. Deployed, permanent bases being established. This is, this is an imperial occupation. This is not a short-term goal. And you were absolutely right. Osama bin Laden is Saudi Arabian. And there are monstrous problems. That's, that, that is so problematic with Saudi Arabia, we haven't seen the end result of that yet. But the behavior is of imperial occupation. And the pipeline, we know. October 10th, Ambassador Wendy Chamberlain met with the Pakistani oil and gas minister and said, gee, this pipeline that Unical couldn't build for so long is now back on the table. Hamid Karzai, the interim prime minister, is a former Unical employee. President Bush's special envoy, Zalam, Zalami Khalilzad, is a former Unical employee. It's oil everywhere. Henry Kissinger was just named head of China's offshore oil advisory board. He's on both ends of the pipeline because China and Japan are the chief, chief markets for the oil. Peter Deborah said a few moments ago that it's early days. Hmm. Is it early days or late days in terms of the behavior of journalists, the building of the pipeline, the failure of intelligence or the non-failure of intelligence, the dismissal of uh, civil liberties, rights, and freedoms. Is it early? Are, are, are we asleep or are we just about to be awake? Well, I think our institutions are about to be tested. Uh, I think the journalists, uh, uh, th there's a real challenge there as a journalist. Uh, this gentleman is making a contribution. He's raising a lot of serious questions, which should spark others to say, is he right or is he wrong? Well, those are good questions. I think our courts will be tested in Canada and the United States. I think our elected people will be tested uh, as they begin to see, you know, for example, the head of CSIS in Canada has not yet been called before Parliament to say what happened on September 11th from a Canadian point of view. Uh, why did you miss the Canadian connection? Uh, that's going to happen sooner or later, uh, and it may happen this spring. Uh, the head of the CIA is now being called to account. I hope he will be vigorously called to account. Yeah, but I seriously doubt whether those hearings are going to be anything more to cover. Well, let's see. Ron, it, I think you're missing the bigger picture. It is very late times. Those military forces of the U.S. branching out into what was the former Soviet Union, but which is critical to the Caspian Sea oil and the connections mm -hmm. in there, um, are just another add-on. They're already where 800 American military bases around the world mm -hmm. in 80 countries. And there, were, there are 174, something like that, in Japan alone. Mm -hmm. And a bigger and, question and, is and, Iraq. And the, the bigger question has to do with where is the U.S. going? The U.S. has now decided that it's okay for the U.S. to drop nuclear bombs on a non-nuclear country. It has cast aside the anti-ballistic missile treaty. It is working for newer what, what, nuclear what weapons. It's considering they... new open open testing of nuclear weapons. It's behaving and like it's, an empire. And, and, and its missile defense program is simply a camel's nose in the tent because the end goal is weaponization of space, dominance through space, and that's to 
to protect American economic interests, and that's all documented. Peter so, Debra? <laughs> I wasn't aware that the U.S. had agreed somewhere that they could drop bombs on a non-nuclear power. It was announced officially. About a, yes, it was announced about a week ago, and and and. Um, are, are you talking about the, the the Nixon remark that was reported? No, no. it's current. No, the current, current administration. Yeah, yeah no. The, anyway, I mean, I, I mean, the, uh, the United States is a huge world power. It's an imperial power. There's, the, I mean, and everybody knows that. It's it's presumably trying to work in various ways to protect its own interests. I, I don't find any of that surprising. I don't find well, it uh, you're, when you when you talk about the methods that this be, this uh, the methods of doing this. Uh, may be illegal or suspect. That's that's another question entirely. Right. But w but how else would you expect the largest, most important, most powerful country in the world to behave? Of course, it's trying Canada's to look after. But there's non-weaponization of space very strongly because it is a global commons. It is for humanity. We are in a whole new paradigm. World oil production mm -hmm. will peak in four years on a bell curve, and it will never be exceeded again, while demand and population are increasing enormously. Natural gas produces fertilizers. Uh, the uh, uh, pesticides come from oil. Uh, we have increasing demand, which can only result in chaos. We will be able to follow what Dick Cheney said, this war which will never end in our lifetimes. That's a quote. We will be able to follow this war from oil reserve nation to oil reserve nation to oil reserve nation as the empire of the United States spearheading globalization on a broader scale occupies the last remaining oil reserves in the world to control them as the world tips over the edge of the, of the Hubble curve, which is what it's Hubbard curve, uh, which is what it's called. That's, uh, that's becoming increasingly obvious as we move to Colombia, which I, I've been writing about for some time. There's oil there, et cetera. It's Iran, Iraq, all of those nations are on the plate. Well, you're getting in a lot of speculative areas there. I mean, the, the whole scenario that the world's population is going to go on endless, endlessly increasing is now under attack uh, consistently by demographers who say that, in fact, that's not going to happen at all. Well, it'll have that to it's correct. going to peak at a certain point. I don't know whether it's another 40 or 50 years, and then start to decline fairly rapidly. That's right. I don't think it's speculative yeah, about oil production, though. No. But can we come back to terrorism <laughs> yes. a little bit? And, 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 I mean, Iraq and Iran are two, two things we should talk about as Canadians. Uh, and the decision our government the will evil make. The axis. Yes, which Canada has not made a decision yet. I think they've asked quite rightly, show us the evidence of terror-sponsored activity from Iraq or from Iran, otherwise we're not going to join in. I think that's the mm -hmm. message I've heard out of Ottawa's. One, I, so I think, far, is a legitimate yeah. position to take. So the onus is on the American leadership to say, well, Iraq, we have this evidence, we have this evidence. I'm not sure that they can meet that test. I think the other, Blair has gone one way. I think France and Germany have gone on other ways, but there's a genuine debate going on. So I don't think we can assume that this, we're going to have this creeping growing of an empire into Iraq and Iran and these other places where the rest of the world sits idly by and watches it happen. Well, uh, let's, uh, let's hope that would be the case. We're dealing with my view of the United States government and, and the United States political system it is that is it, it, Enron demonstrates this. It's, it's a criminal enterprise that's out of control. The U.S. government has become a franchise operation for major corporations. And I think you can make that case, given, given the time to do that. Uh, Enron, uh, there's just monstrously $2.3 trillion from CBS News is missing, gone, mm -hmm. looted, stolen from the U.S. Department of Defense. $59 billion looted, stolen, missing from housing and urban development. Mm -hmm. There's something seriously wrong. It's behaving like a criminal empire, like a criminal regime. Uh, Ron Atke is saying, though, that the rest of the world Wants is not by. so dumb 
as to follow these activities. Let's let's let's, let's pick up on this point. Uh, do you? Why do you believe that? Well, and let's others jump in here as well. I believe that there there are two. Forces at work. First of all, these countries are sovereign countries, some more so than others. I think the, the countries of Europe uh, have the capacity to exercise and assert sovereignty uh, through their unified European economy in a way that wasn't always the case. And I think that's important as a counterbalance. Uh, secondly, um, I think that there is a, a democratic tradition of saying, show us the evidence before we jump into major initiatives like this. I think the people, through their elected representatives, demand their governments behave that way. And I think that's generally true of our governments in Canada and in England and in France and in Germany and the rest of the European Union. I certainly hope that's but, the case. But Canada has condoned the constant bombing that has gone on by the U.S. in Iraq over the past years. It didn't end with the end of the Gulf Not War. Not now. Not now. There's still bombing going on. In Iraq? Yes. Mm -hmm. There no, is. Not major bombing I'm aware of. I mean, if you... There are sanctions in place, but there aren't bombing going... Not, the U.S. is proposing, perhaps they move in that direction. There's not current bombing going the on US in Iraq. The U.S. does have knowledge. bombing raids in Iraq. Sorry. Let me just raise when another last point, which, which, which bothers me, Mike, and I don't know whether it bothers you. When you're, when you're, when you're revealing some of this information and these facts and basically saying that the government of the, in Washington is... Uh, is, is part of a, a conspiratorial exercise and it's in, in, in cahoots with big business and is simply beholden to big business and in fact uh, agencies of the American government are involved in the drug trade and so forth and the media is part of this whole process. Aren't you, aren't you concerned that particularly when, when the situation in the, in the states is, is under stress and in, and, other, and in other countries, aren't you concerned that you yourself in fact are, are contributing to a, a serious loss of trust and faith by people in the democratic processes that do exist in the media, and in a sense, in a sense, you're becoming a destructive element yourself. Well, I left the Los Angeles Police Department in November 1978, in the highest rating reports possible. Mm. After I had witnessed with my own eyes the Central Intelligence Agency dealing heroin, trafficking, smuggling large quantities of heroin, mm. when my government behaves in a manner which is honorable and which warrants my support, my respect, and my honor, I will give it to my government. Not until. Uh, one of the most telling points that I make in my lecture is that founding fathers, les philosophes, people to whom, writers to whom we all owe our allegiance as having recognized that God wove freedom into every fiber of creation, that we give power to the government and we have the right to take it back at any time mm. the government does not behave honorably or ethically. I'm saying, on a spiritual standpoint, that that accounting is long overdue. In my country, we have for 38 years had the film of John Kennedy being shot from the front. We've had this absolutely ludicrous report. We had a savings and loan scandal. We had Iran-Contra. We had a litany of scandals in our, in our country, well-documented and well-known. Iraqgate, the arming of Saddam Hussein by George Bush. Depleted uranium, uh, genocide in oh, Rwanda. Oh, there's a good one, depleted okay. uranium. Genocide in Rwanda. And we have never accounted for that. Um, one of my favorite quotes is from Carl Jung, and I think he was a wonderful man. I, yeah, he was a psychiatrist and a very spiritual man. He said, the foundation of all mental illness is the unwillingness to experience legitimate suffering. 
People don't want to assume the responsibility they have put off the debt paying, the accounting, the hard questions, the, the, the wailing and the gnashing of teeth, if you will, that is required to restore some kind of integrity. And uh, uh, evil governments, evil empires, however you want to put it, corrupt governments, unless they are checked, will continue to be corrupt and they will get progressively more so. You just heard Michael Rupert in conversation with peace activist Phyllis Creighton, former chair of Canada's Security Intelligence Review Committee Ron Adke, and journalist educator Peter Debara, with Vision TV Insight executive producer Rita Deverell functioning as moderator. Music this week was from the song Shifting Sands from Purple Planet Music, available for download at the site purple-planet.com. The Global Research News Hour airs on CKUW 95.9 FM in Winnipeg and on partner radio stations across Canada and the United States. The show is available for download from the site globalresearch.ca. To leave feedback, please email globalresearchnewshour at gmail.com. Please join us again next week. My name is Michael Welch. <laughs>